Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. It's wonderful. Much needed on this very cold and snowy morning in Santa Fe. Today is Monday, Monday blah, blah, September 8th. And uh, on the dog walk this morning, I literally had to walk uphill in the snow and fairly deep snow and it was really hard <laughs> i just feel like i should say that um i have a number of things i want to talk about today we'll see if we get to them um i have an interesting data point on series fall off that I've talked about before i want to talk a little bit about indies going to traditional publishing um and then something that is I want to say off topic, but I feel like we've already agreed that being off topic is part of the brand here at First Cup of Coffee. Uh, if you're on video, you will note that I am back to uh, standard mugs. I took down the holiday decorations this weekend. I started some painting. I'm doing a little bit of renovation. Eventually, the office here will be part of it. Uh, hopefully, we'll get that done. I've made a list. I've made a plan. She has a plan. Uh, so yeah, all the uh, fancies are put away back to, back to every day, cut my nails way back down to, uh, start a rehab. They'd gotten so long I couldn't type and I've been working on Amethyst Run. So this week I hope to seriously get into drafting mode, right? Um, I, I did okay on Friday, relatively okay, um, for ramp up, I didn't even get a thousand words, but I'm like, I'm finding my way. So one thing I wanted to mention, and I think that there's a story from Kauai that I didn't tell you all that's related. So I'm going to talk about skin <laughs> and skincare um, and vanity, which I, you know, if, if you want to hear about the, the publishing stuff, skip ahead. Um, but this was kind of triggered because I saw a gal on Twitter. And why was I looking at Twitter? Maybe it was on threads. I joined threads. Uh, we'll, we'll see. So far, it's okay. But anyway, uh, she was, she is an author. And I will not say who it is, but she said something that caught my eye and I, I don't follow her. I think that was like in the, you know, like they give you the stuff that's for you. I was like, I don't know why you thought this was for me. Uh, but she said that, um, something like, uh, for those that follow her, you know, to please notice that she doesn't care about beauty at all. Um, and that she doesn't, uh, that age is just a number, this kind of thing. And, Oh, I want to find it. Okay, this is what she said. She said, for those clicking on my profile for the first time, aging is something I'm really into. It's cool, and I talk about it a fair amount. I'm excited to get older. And she goes on to say that she doesn't even use skincare products. And I thought, okay, who, how old is this woman? Reader, she is 32. She's 32. And I say this as I look into the camera and I don't use a ring light. I, maybe I should, but I've got these 
harsh winter light on my face. And you can see my crow's feet and you can see the lines on my forehead. And I use skin products. <laughs> uh, when I turned 18, my mother took me to the skincare counter and said, you need to start a skincare regimen. So we can talk about being into aging, you know, like how you feel about getting older. And I have no illusions. I don't lie about my age. I am 57 years old and I think I'm doing all right. But part of it is because I take care of my skin. And a big part of that is taking care of your skin when you are young. Now, this idea that you shouldn't care about whether or not your skin is lined or whether you are looking older. I feel like it's, it's very convoluted and, and I don't know this gal at all. Um, you know, and maybe she has different reasons for why she says, but it's a little bit being a pick me girl to my mind. Uh, for those who don't know, the pick me girl is kind of like the one who is not like other girls, uh, who doesn't care about the things that other girls care about. Uh, and so it feels a little bit like that. And I remember being an adolescent, a teenager, and my stepfather, who was a former Catholic priest and came from this Irish Catholic family, that there was still, we didn't practice Catholicism, but there were still a lot of Catholic values. And like, if I saw a photograph where I thought I didn't look good, he would chastise me for being vain. He would say, well, that's vanity. And my mother, who's probably listening to this, and my mother, who is a tremendously beautiful woman, um, you know, never got chastised for being vain, even though she has always cared about her appearance. The thing is, is that women are judged by their appearance. And so there is this push-pull thing about uh, being like you're, you're not supposed to care about your appearance, right? I feel like this is a rant from the Barbie movie, right? You're not supposed to care. You're not supposed to be vain, but you're also supposed to be beautiful. But you're supposed to be naturally beautiful right? I don't use skincare products because I am naturally beautiful. Well, there is no such thing, right? Um, I remember one of my college roommates uh, was dating this guy and he said to her that one of the things he liked about her was that she would, that she was a natural beauty. And she was like, nose job, braces, thousands of dollars of skincare products. Um, I think she permed her hair at that point in time. That was the eighties. You know, it's like creating the illusion of natural beauty is something that requires a tremendous amount of effort. Uh, what happened to me in Kauai, this was kind of a funny story and I don't think I told it on the podcast was that I went out one evening with my friend, Susan, and we went out we wanted to go somewhere kind of away from the resort and away from the conference and so we went to this great shopping center that had these boutique shops and we were going to go out to dinner and have drinks which we did do and it was fabulous but we spotted these dresses in this boutique shop and we were you know Ooh. so we went in and really enjoyed it and it was i don't know like seven o'clock at night you know traffic had really died down it was just the two of us and the shop owner in there and the shop owner was about our same age. Susan is my same age, a little bit younger. And 
Susan is also a blabbermouth. And so she's telling her, oh, we're here for this writer's conference and my friend is a famous author and all this kind of thing. And the shop owner ended up downloading one of my books, which was nice. But uh, it's more than I like normally tell people. Usually I just go in and shop and yeah. So anyway, Susan saw one more thing and she's gone back to the dressing room to try it on. And so it's just me at the counter and I'm paying for this dress I bought. And the shop owner says, can I give you a compliment? And I'm like, okay. And she said, I just want to say that it's really wonderful to meet a woman like you who is so successful and isn't Botoxed to death. And that was my pause. I had no idea what to say. And I've told this story to a number of people since, and I'm, I've gotten a range of responses of what people think. Um, and most people think she genuinely meant it as a compliment. I mean, my response was, I didn't think I needed Botox. <laughs> Where would I get Botox? And no, I've never had Botox. I've never had any kind of cosmetic surgery, um, but that's because I haven't felt like I needed it. I, if I needed it, I would probably get it because back to this thing of that women are judged by their appearance. And this is a great example, right? This woman that I've just met, you know, like she's looking at me and judging whether or not I've had Botox. Um, so, so for someone who is 32, <laughs> I mean, I realize you don't have perspective on life yet, but you know, I really want to check back with her in 20 years and see how she feels about maybe putting a little moisturizer on her skin at that point. Anyway, um, I could tell that it's something that she is feeling like she's building her brand on. I'm into aging. Um, and one thing that I give advice on a lot when you're building your author brand is to make sure it's sustainable, right? Make sure it's authentic to you. Make sure it's sustainable. Um, and think about what you're saying, right? You know, if you want to set yourselves apart, you want to not be not like the other girls, right? And, and this goes for the guys too, right? You, you don't want to be, I am unique and fascinating because I'm not like all those other authors doing this stuff, right? And you see people doing that, right? Where they're like, well, I write romance, but I write, um, gender flipped romance or I write romance without happy ever afters. And that makes me unique and interesting. It's like, no, your, your voice is what makes you unique and interesting and picking something that is authentically you. Uh, see if you can pick something that like doesn't insult other people along the way. How about that? Okay. Let's talk about publishing. Um, so I'm trying to think of what I, I, I'm still on this topic and I need to get off of it. Um, okay. So let's go back to here. So I saw, at, again, on social media, um, I guess maybe because I started getting on threads and so I saw more things because I definitely saw this on threads uh, where a book reviewer was talking about this trend that she's noticed she had started reading a book by a favorite author who had been indie, had been self-publishing her books, got picked up by traditional publishing 
and she was not liking the book. And she has seen this happen a number of times where the quality or the voice goes down. What makes it interesting changes. Uh, she said until she got to the sex scenes and then it was like, Oh, hello. <laughs> I recognize you now. Um, and she was blaming traditional publishing for this, which I can understand why, because there's a lot of that uh, narrative out there where self-published authors say, oh, that they tried going to traditional publishing, but that their editor told them what to do or would not let them do X, Y, Z and so forth. And I think it's a popular narrative because it reinforces the whole idea of being indie, right? Being independent author that nobody going to tell me what to write. And there is something to that, that you can take chances with your self-published work. Um, you can get yourself into trouble too. Um, traditional publishing is more cautious because they have a corporation writing on what you write in your book. They're tying their reputation to yours. So sure, there is some of that, but I don't think that's the real reason that what self-published authors take to traditional publishing may be less sparkly. And, and I want to say this without outing anyone, but I have direct experience with um, several self-published authors, uh, one of whom is a friend and may be listening. So I hope you don't mind that I say that. But she said specifically, she referred to a series as being a sacrificial series that she would take to traditional publishing to try it out because, because she had been with a small press before, had a very bad experience, went to self-publishing, was enormously successful, and then had interest in her uh from traditional publishers, had an agent that wanted to take stuff on submission. And so, but she was worried. She was understandably gun shy, right? Where she was, she didn't want to give one of her very best ideas to traditional publishing because she was afraid they would screw it up as her previous publisher had screwed it up. So, it's not that she put less effort into it because she put tremendous effort into this series, but it also was something that she regarded as a sacrificial idea. I don't know if she would consider it to be in her top 10 ideas, but you know, maybe, maybe it was, but she definitely had that sense of I'm going to hold a little bit in reserve just in case they screw this up. And I think a lot of indies do that. I think a lot of indies, especially because of this pervasive narrative that traditional publishing is going to screw it up. And occasionally they do. A lot of times they don't. But, you know, again, this is like a survivorship bias, right? We don't tell the stories about where everything went great because it's it's not interesting, right? We want to hear the stories where somebody's like, oh, this publisher did all these terrible things. And then it reinforces our ideas. It reinforces our decision to, to be independent because we don't want to deal with, you know, like 
the possibility that maybe things will go bad, right? So I think that there's a lot of that going on, um, especially with these very successful indie authors who are trying out traditional publishing for the first time. I'm not saying that they're not putting effort into it, but I think some of them are not giving it 100% that they are saving things for their self-published career so that they continue to pay the mortgage and so forth. Um, and I know that I have books like that, books that I would not like stop publishing and give to, to traditional publishing because they are earning me money and they need to be earning me money. So I just wanted to mention that I think there is some of that going on. I'm actually getting through my topics today. Uh, and so then finally, I had another data point a few weeks back. I was talking about, uh, you know, when we're looking at return on investment, when we're looking at series sell through, right? That there are books where we're like, oh, well, this series did very well, or this series did well until this book, and then it fell off. And I was making the argument that there's actually a one or two book delay on that that when we see a book or like the subsequent trilogy not do well, that it can be the fault of a couple of books back because readers will give us like one more try, but then at that point they may be done. And I saw uh, an interesting example of this from a very famous uh, writer doing very, very well, put out this series. The first trilogy, book one has almost 60,000 ratings on Goodreads. And I'm talking about Goodreads ratings. The second book went down to about 44,000 ratings, which is standard and actually is really good. That's about 73%. Uh, continued on to read the second book. And I've talked about before that very typically we see 50%, right? Um, so 73% is amazing sell-through. And it's partly because this was a fantastic series, uh, fantastic author, really great. Book three, um, almost 37,000 ratings means that almost everyone who read book two went on to read book three. This is a very successful trilogy. So then the next trilogy, uh, they had a couple of books like um, novellas between, but with the next trilogy, let's see, I'm looking at my numbers here. We had a sudden fall off. Uh, and the first book got... Uh, Oops, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong one. Okay, so the the first book in the trilogy had 22, oops, wrong one, had almost 30,000 ratings. I keep looking at, they have the novellas in between. Uh, and then the second book in that trilogy had 23,000 ratings. Okay, so that's really great. Um, this is the loyal audience, right? This is the people that are really sticking through with it. Um, really great sell through from book one to book two. But then you look at book three and it went down to 15,000. And I think it's because having read these books that there was a problem with the first book that the author made a choice uh, that was not popular with readers. And 
really violated a lot of the world rules and the contract with the reader uh, that was established in the first trilogy. Uh, and then people gave it until that second book, but then they did not read the third book. Uh, and that's why those ratings really tanked. And I think that it's not the fault. It's not because the third book wasn't good. It's because the first and second books didn't satisfy the readers. And so that was a good example of seeing that um, delayed crash. Uh, I think also the fact that book one didn't do nearly as well as book one of the first trilogy is, I mean, not even close to the ratings of the um, of the third book of the first trilogy, right? We went from 40,000 ratings down to 20, 28. Um, yeah. So sometimes you make choices and, you know, you can't always, you can't drag them back. Um, the author did attempt to do some retconning, but it wasn't enough. Uh, I, and I think people didn't really like the premise of the, the next book. So it's, it's not uh, anything against that particular author because, you know, those choices were probably made with, you know, in the right spirit. You never know what an author's thinking. And sometimes the book demands to be written a particular way, but it is an interesting example of being able to trace that series fall off to a previous book. And on that note, I'm going to go on and get to work on my own. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will talk to you all on Friday. You all take care. Use your moisturizer. Bye-bye.